0: Chapter 9, Part 2 of The Sea Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Sea Its Stirring Story of Adventure, Peril, and Heroism, Volume 1 by frederick Wimper. chapter nine part two round the world on a man o war northward and southward the australian station and now before leaving the asiatic coast let us as many english naval vessels have done pay a flying visit to a still more northern harbour that of plover bay which forms the very apex of the China Station. Sailing or steaming through Bering Sea, it is satisfactory to know that so shallow is it that a vessel can anchor in almost any part of it, though hundreds of miles from land. Plover Bay does not derive its name from the whaling which is often pursued in its waters. Although an ingenious Dutchman of the service in which the writer was engaged at the periods of his visits persists in calling it Blubber Bay, its name is due to the visit of H. M. S. Plover in 1848-1849, when engaged in the search for Sir John Franklin. The bay is a most secure haven, sheltered at the ocean end by a long spit, and walled in on three sides by rugged mountains and bare cliffs the former composed of an infinite number of fragments of rock split up by the action of frost besides many colored lichens and mosses there was hardly a sign of vegetation except at one patch of country near a small inner harbor where domesticated reindeer graze on the spit before mentioned is a village of chukchi natives their tents are composed of hide walrus seal or reindeer with here and there a piece of old sailcloth obtained from the whalers the whole patchwork covering a framework formed of the large bones of whales and walrus the remains of underground houses are seen but the people who use them have passed away the present race makes no use of such houses their canoes are of skin covering sometimes a wooden and sometimes a bone frame on either side of one of these craft which is identical with the greenland umiak or women's boat it is usual to have a sealskin blown out tight and the ends fastened to the gunwale these serve as floats to steady the canoe they often carry sail and proceed safely far out to sea even crossing bering straits to the american side the natives are a hardy race the writer has seen one of them carry the awkward burden of a carpenter's chest weighing two hundred pounds without apparent exertion one of their principal men was of considerable service to the expedition and to a party of telegraph constructors who were left there in a wooden house made in san francisco and erected in a few days in this barren spot this native by name naucam was taken down into the engine-room of the telegraph steamer g s wright he looked round carefully and thoughtfully and then shaking his head said solemnly too much ye will make ye man too much ye think his curiosity on board was unappeasable. What's that fellow, was his query, with regard to anything, from the donkey engine to the hen-coops. Colonel Bulkley gave him a suit of mock uniform, gorgeous with buttons. One of the men remarked to him, Why knock him? You'll be a king soon. But this magnificent prospect did not seem, judging from the way he received it, to be much to his taste. This man had been sometimes entrusted with as much as five barrels of villainous whiskey for trading purposes, and he had always accounted satisfactorily to the trader for its use. The whiskey sold to the natives is of the most horrible kind, scarcely superior to coal oil or paraffin. They appear to understand the telegraph scheme in a general way, one explaining it said, Suppose lope fixie, well, one Melican man, plower bay, make talky all same San Francisco Melikin. Perhaps quite as lucid an explanation as you could get from an agricultural labourer or a street Arab at home. Colonel Bulkeley, at his second visit to Plover Bay, caused a small house of planks to be constructed for Naucom and made him many presents. A draughtsman attached to the party made a sketch, a dream of the future, which was a lively representation of the future prospects of Naucom and his family. The room was picturesque, with paddles, skins, brand-new Henry rifles, preserved meat-tins, etc., and civilization was triumphant. Although Plover Bay is almost in sight of the Arctic Ocean, very little snow remained on the barren country round it, except on the distant mountains, or in deep ravines, where it has lain for ages. That there snow, said one of the sailors, pointing to such a spot, is three hundred years old if it's a day. Why, don't you see the wrinkles all over the face of it? Wrinkles and ridges are common enough in snow, but the idea of associating age with them was original. The whalers are often very successful in and outside Plover Bay in securing their prey. Each boat is known by its own private mark, a cross, red stripes or what not, on its sail, so that at a distance they can be distinguished from their respective vessels when the whale is harpooned often a long and dangerous job and is floating dead in the water a small flag is planted in it after the monster is towed alongside the vessel it is cut up into large rectangular chunks and it is a curious and not altogether pleasant sight to witness the deck of a whaling ship covered with blubber this can be either barrelled or the oil tried out on the spot if the latter the blubber is cut into mincemeat, and chopping-knives and even mincing-machines are employed the oil is boiled out on board and the vessel when seen at a distance looks as if on fire on these occasions the sailors have a feast of doughnuts which are cooked in boiling whale oil fritters of whale-brain and other dishes the writer has tasted whale in various shapes but although it is eatable it is by no means luxurious food it was in these waters of bering sea and the arctic that the shenandoah played such havoc during the american war in eighteen sixty five she burned thirty american whalers taking off the officers and crews and sending them down to san francisco The captain of an English whaler, the Robert Tons, of Sydney, had warned and saved some American vessels, and was in consequence threatened by the pirate captain. The writer was an eye witness of the results of this wanton destruction of private property. The coasts were strewed with the remains of the burned vessels, while the natives had boats, spars, etc. in numbers. But Plover Bay has an interest attaching to it of far more importance than anything to be said about whaling or arctic expeditions. It is more than probable that from or near that bay the wandering Tungus or Chukchi crossed Bering Straits and peopled America. The latter, in canoes holding fifteen or twenty persons, do it now. Why not in the long ago? the writer has in common with many who have visited alaska formerly russian america before the country was purchased by the united states remarked the almost chinese or japanese cast of features possessed by the coast natives of that country their asiatic origin could not be doubted and on the other hand Aleuts natives of the aleutian islands which stretch out in a grand chain from alaska who had shipped as sailors on the russo-american telegraph expedition and a chukchi boy brought down to be educated were constantly taken for japanese or chinamen in san francisco where there are forty thousand of the former people junks have on two occasions been driven across the pacific ocean and have landed their crews these facts occurred in eighteen thirty two to eighteen thirty three the first on the coast near cape flattery northwest america and the second in the harbor of oahu sandwich hawaiian islands in the former case all the crew but two men and a boy were killed by the natives In the latter case, however, the sandwich islanders treated the nine Japanese, forming the crew of the junk, with kindness, and when they saw the strangers so much resembling them in many respects, said, It is plain now, we come from Asia. How easily, then, could we account for the peopling of any island or coast in the Pacific? whether therefore stress of weather obliged some unfortunate chinamen or japanese to people america or whether they or at all events some northern asiatics took the short sea route via bering straits there is a very strong probability in favour of the new world having been peopled from not merely the old world but the oldest world asia The Pacific Ocean generally bears itself in a manner which justifies its title. The long sweeps of its waves are far more pleasant to the sailor than the choppy waves of the Atlantic. But the Pacific is by no means always so, as the writer very well knows. He will not soon forget November 1865, nor will those of his companions who still survive. Leaving Petropolovsky on November 1st, a fortnight of what sailors term dirty weather, culminated in a gale from the southeast. It was no capful of wind, but a veritable tempest which broke over the devoted ship. At its outset the wind was so powerful that it blew the main boom from the ropes which held it, and it swung round with great violence against the smokestack funnel of the steamer knocking it overboard the guys or chains by which it had been held upright were snapped and it went to the bottom here was a dilemma the engines were rendered nearly useless and a few hours later were made absolutely powerless for the rudder became disabled and the steering wheel was utterly unavailable during this period a very curious circumstance happened the sea driving faster than the vessel itself a log lying in the trough of the waves which rose in mountains on all sides acted on the screw in such a manner that in its turn it worked the engines at a greater rate than they had ever attained by steam after much trouble the couplings were disconnected but for several hours the jarring of the machinery revolved at lightning speed "'threatened to make a breach in the stern. "'No one on board will soon forget the night of that great gale. "'The vessel, scarcely larger than a penny steamer, "'and having guards or bulwarks little higher than the rail of those boats, "'was engulfed in the tempestuous waters. "'It seemed literally to be driving under the water. "'Waves broke over it every few minutes.' A rope had to be stretched along the deck for the sailors to hold on by, while the brave commander, Captain Marston, was literally tied to the aft bulwark, where, half frozen and half drowned, he remained at his post during an entire night. The steamer had the house on deck, so common in American vessels. It was divided into staterooms, very comfortably fitted but had doors and windows of the lightest character. At the commencement of the gale, these were literally battered to pieces by the waves dashing over the vessel. It was a matter of doubt whether the whole house might not be carried off bodily. The officers of the expedition took refuge in the small cabin aft, which had been previously the general wardroom of the vessel, where the meals were served. A great sea broke over its skylight, smashing the glass to atoms, putting out the lamps and stove, and filling momentarily the cabin with about three feet of water. A landsman would have thought his last hour had come, but the hull of the vessel was sound, the pumps were in good order, and worked steadily by a donkey engine in the engine-room, and the water soon disappeared.' the men coiled themselves up that night amid a pile of ropes and sails boxes and miscellaneous matters lying on the counter of the vessel i e that part of the stern lying immediately over the rudder next morning in place of the capital breakfasts all had been enjoying fish and game from kamchatka tinned fruits and meats from california hot rolls and cakes the steward and cook could only with great difficulty provide some rather shaky coffee and the regular hard bread biscuit of the ship. The storm increased in violence. It was unsafe to venture on deck. The writer's roommate, Monsieur Laborne, a genial and cultivated man of the world, who spoke seven languages fluently, sat down and wrote a last letter to his mother, enclosing it afterwards in a bottle. It will never reach her, said poor Le Bourne, with tears dimming his eyes, but it is all I can do. Each try to comfort the other, and prepare for the worst. If we are to die, let us die like men, said Adjutant Wright. Come down in the engine-room, another said and if we've got to die, let's die decently. The chief engineer lighted a fire on the iron floor below the boilers, and it was the only part of the vessel which was at all comfortable. Noble-hearted Colonel Bulkeley spent his time in cheering the men, and reminding them that the sea has been proved to be an infinitely safer place than the land. No single one on board really expected to survive. Meantime, the gale was expending its rage by tearing every sail to ribbons. Rags and streamers fluttered from the yards. There was not a single piece of canvas intact. The cabins held a wreck of trunks, furniture, and crockery. In one of the cabins, several boxes of soap in bars had been stored. When the gale commenced to abate, someone ventured into the house on deck when it was discovered that it was full of soap suds, which swashed backwards and forwards through the series of rooms the water had washed and rewashed the bars of soap till they were not thicker than sticks of sealing-wax at last after a week of this horrible weather morning broke with a sight of the sun and moderate wind there were spare sails on board and the rudder could be repaired but what could be done about the funnel? The engineer's ingenuity came out conspicuously. He had one of the usual water-tanks brought on deck, and the two ends knocked out. Then, setting it up over the boiler, he, with pieces of sheet-iron, raised this square erection till it was about nine feet high, and it gave a sufficient draft to the furnaces covert's patent smokestack created a sensation on the safe arrival of the vessel in san francisco and was inspected by hundreds of visitors the little steamer had ploughed through ten thousand miles of water that season she was immediately taken to one of the wharfs and entirely remodelled the sides were slightly raised and a wardroom and aft cabin handsomely fitted in yacht fashion took the place of the house on deck it was roofed or decked at top in such a manner that the heaviest seas could wash over the vessel without doing the slightest injury and she afterwards made two voyages going over a distance of twenty thousand miles poor old wright She went to the bottom at last, with all her crew and passengers, some years later, off Cape Flattery, at the entrance of the Straits of Fuca, and scarcely a vestige of her was ever found. And now, retracing our steps en route for the Australian station, let us call at one of the most important of England's settlements, which has been termed the Liverpool of the East, Singapore consists of an island 25 miles long and 15 or so broad, lying off the south extremity of Malacca, and having a city of the same name on its southern side. The surface is very level, the highest elevation being only 520 feet. In 1818, Sir Stamford Raffles founded an island covered with virgin forests and dense jungles, with a miserable population on its creeks and rivers of fishermen and pirates. It has now a population of about 100,000, of which Chinese number more than half. In 1819, the British flag was hoisted over the new settlement, but it took five years on the part of mr crawford the diplomatic representative of great britain to negotiate terms with its then owner the sultan of Johor, whereby for a heavy yearly payment it was with all the islands within ten miles of the coast given up with absolute possession to the honorable east india company since that period its history has been one of unexampled prosperity it is a free port the revenue being raised entirely from imports on opium and spirits its prosperity as a commercial port is due to the fact that it is an entrepot for the whole trade of the malayan archipelago the eastern archipelago cochin china siam and java Twelve years ago it exported over 66 million rupees worth of gambier, tin, pepper, nutmegs, coffee, tortoiseshell, rare woods, sago, tapioca, camphor, gutta-percha, and rattans. It is vastly greater now. Exclusive of innumerable native craft, sixteen hundred and ninety seven square-rigged vessels entered the port in eighteen sixty four to eighteen sixty five it has two splendid harbours one a sheltered roadstead near the town with safe anchorage the other a land-locked harbour three miles from the town capable of admitting vessels of the largest draft splendid wharfs have been erected by the many steamship companies and merchants and there are fortifications which command the harbour and roads A great deal has been written about the natural beauties of Ceylon and Java, says Mr. Cameron, and some theologians, determined to give the first scene in the mosaic narrative a local habitation, have fixed the paradise of unfallen man on one or other of those noble islands. Nor has their enthusiasm carried them to any ridiculous extreme for the beauty of some parts of java and ceylon might well accord with the description given us or rather which we are accustomed to infer of that land from which man was driven on his first great sin i have seen both ceylon and java and admired in no grudging measure their many charms but for calm placid loveliness i should place singapore high above them both it is a loveliness too that at once strikes the eye from whatever point we view the island which combines all the advantages of an always beautiful and often imposing coastline, with an endless succession of hill and dale stretching inland the entire circumference of the island is one panorama where the magnificent tropical forest with its undergrowth of jungle runs down at one place to the very water's edge dipping its large leaves in the glassy sea and at another is abruptly broken by a brown rocky cliff or a late landslip over which the jungle has not yet had time to extend itself here and there too are scattered little green islands set like gems on the bosom of the hushed waters between which the excursionist the trader or the pirate is wont to steer his course eternal summer gilds these shores no sooner has the blossom of one tree passed away than that of another takes its place and sheds perfume all around as for the foliage that never seems to die perfumed isles are in many people's minds merely fabled dreams but they are easy of realization here there is scarcely a part of the island except those few places where the original forest and jungle have been cleared away from which at night-time on the first breathings of the land winds may not be felt those lovely forest perfumes even at the distance of more than a mile from shore These land winds, or more properly land airs, for they can scarcely be said to blow, but only to breathe, usually commence at ten o'clock at night, and continue within an hour or two of sunrise. They are welcomed by all, by the sailor because they speed him on either course, and by the wearied resident because of their delicious coolness another writer speaks with the same enthusiasm of the well-kept country roads and approaches to the houses of residence where one may travel for miles through unbroken avenues of fruit trees or beneath an overarching canopy of evergreen palms the long and well-kept approaches to the european dwellings never fail to win the praise of strangers in them may be discovered the same lavish profusion of overhanging foliage which we see around us on every side besides that there are often hedges of wild heliotrope cropped as square as if built up of stone and forming compact barriers of green leaves which yet blossom with gold and purple flowers behind these broad bananas nod their bending leaves while a choice flower garden a close-shaven lawn and a croquet ground are not uncommonly the surroundings of the residence if it is early morning there is an unspeakable charm about the spot the air is cool even bracing the rich blossom of orchids are seen depending from the boughs while songless birds twitter among the foliage or beneath shrubs which the convolvulus has decked with a hundred variegated flowers here and there the slender stem of the aloe rising from an armory of spiked leaves lifts its cone of white bells on high or the deep orange pineapple peeps out from a green belt of fleshy foliage and breathes its bright fragrance around The house will invariably have a spacious veranda, underneath which flowers in china vases and easy chairs of all kinds are placed. If perfect peace can steal through the senses into the soul, if it can be distilled like some subtle ether from all that is beautiful in nature, surely in such an island as this we shall find that supreme happiness which we all know to be unattainable elsewhere alas even in this bright spot unalloyed bliss cannot be expected the temperature is very high showing an average in the shade all the year round of between eighty five and ninety five degrees fahrenheit prickly heat and many other disorders are caused by it on the european constitution the old strait of Singapura, that lies between the island of singapore and the mainland of johor is a narrow tortuous passage for many centuries the only thoroughfare for ships passing to the eastward of malacca not many years ago where charming bungalows the residences of the merchants are built among the ever verdant foliage it was but the home of hordes of piratical marauders who carried on their depredations with a high hand sometimes adventuring on distant voyages in fleets of forty or fifty prahus indeed it is stated in the old malay annals that for nearly two hundred years the entire population of singapore and the surrounding islands and coasts of Johor subsisted on fishing and pirating the former only being resorted to when the prevailing monsoon was too strong to admit of the successful prosecution of the latter single cases of piracy sometimes occur now but it has been nearly stopped of the numberless vessels and boats which give life to the waters of the old strait nearly all have honest work to do fishing timber carrying or otherwise trading a very extraordinary flotilla says mr cameron of a rather nondescript character may be often seen in this part of the strait at certain seasons of the year these are huge rafts of unsawn newly cut timber they are generally five hundred to six hundred feet long and sixty or seventy broad the logs being skilfully laid together and carefully bound by strong rattan rope each raft often containing two thousand logs they have always one or two atap houses built upon them and carry crews of twenty or twenty-five men the married men taking their wives and children with them the timber composing them is generally cut many miles away in some creek or river on the mainland they sometimes have sails they will irresistibly remind the traveler of those picturesque rafts on the Rhine, on which there are cabins with the smoke curling from their stovepipes, and women, children, and dogs, the men with long sweeps keeping the valuable floating freight in the current. Many a German, now in England or America, made his first trip through the Fatherland to its coast on a Rhine raft. End of chapter 9, part 2